اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ان دا نیم آف اللہ دا موسٹ گریشیس ایور مرسفل پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز آف اللہ بی اپون یو آل ڈیئر لسنرز یو آر جوائنٹ ہے ان دا وائس آف اسلام اسٹوڈیو ان دا بیٹل فلو ماسک دا لارجسٹ ماسک ان یوروپ بائی مائی سیلف یور یوزول ونس ڈے پرزینٹر محمد اتر اینڈ بردر عبد الحلیم السلام علیکم پیس بی اپون یو ہاؤ یو ڈوئنگ دس مارننگ بردر السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز آف اللہ بی اپون یو اینڈ آل آف آور لسنرز ایم ویری ویل تھینک یو ویری مچ تھینکس فار آسکنگ The weather's good, so everything is... The weather, yes. Good there, there's, there's been like a little uh, heat wave, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think if anyone opens up their weather app today, hmm. they'll be really happy to see just bright yellow yeah. sun logos everywhere. And uh, did you see the moon was out on the drive here? I saw no, the moon. No, no, I didn't really. Yeah, oh. the moon was fully out, like a, a yellowish circle. I can see I, the sun I, from our window. But yeah, I don't know if you can see it now, but the yeah. moon was out. Yeah, it's, it? it's strange. I was concentrating on my <laughs> driving, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's what, uh, you know, people should be doing when they're driving. Um, but, uh, you know, we do have an interesting lineup of topics for you guys this morning. For the first segment, we'll be discussing thefts in London. Are they investigated enough or will there be plans for improvement? And for the second title, there is a sevenfold increase in adult ADHD prescriptions over 10 years. But just before we get into that and, you know, discuss the news and the weather a bit more, we'll be taking a very short break. So, dear listeners, don't go anywhere and please do join us after a very short break. Three ahadith that prove that a prophet can still come after the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ahmadi Muslims hold the belief that the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the Khatimun Nabiyyin, the seal of the prophets. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, There is no prophet after me. And we as Ahmadi Muslims fully accept this hadith. We also believe that no law-bearing prophet can come after the Holy Prophet Muhammad However, it is possible for a follower prophet, one who follows the Prophet and is from among his ummah to attain the status of prophethood as a subordinate. Here are three hadith that support this view. One, The Holy Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when speaking of the Messiah of the latter days, referred to him as Nabiullah Isa, the Prophet of Allah Isa. He repeated this four times, the Prophet of Allah Isa, making it very clear that the person who was to appear in the latter days to reform the Muslims would be a Prophet. Two, when the son of the Holy Prophet Muhammad وسلم, Ibrahim passed away, The Holy Prophet said, if he had lived, he would have become a prophet. Now it's worth noting that the verse of the Holy Quran in which the Holy Prophet Muhammad is called Khatimun Nabiyyin, seal of the prophets, was revealed before the death of Ibrahim. The Holy Prophet could have said, if Ibrahim had lived, he could never become a prophet because I am the seal of the prophets. However, the fact that he did not say this and he said that he would become a prophet if he had lived shows that the Prophet ﷺ interpreted the seal of prophethood to mean that a follower prophet can indeed appear after him. And this is also the Ahmadiyya view. Three, in another hadith, the Holy Prophet Muhammad ﷺ speaks about the establishment of Khilafah in Islam. He says that after his prophethood, Khilafah will be established on the precepts of prophethood, which will then be raised after some time. 
This will be followed by despotic rule, which will then be raised. After this will come tyrannical rule, which will also be raised after some time. And finally, the Holy Prophet Muhammad says, Khilafa ala minhajin nubuwa. Khilafa on the precepts of prophethood will be established. Now, this makes it very clear that Khilafa can only be established after the advent of a prophet. And this is what all Muslims believe. They believe that when Jesus, the Messiah, will return, after him, Khilafa will be re-established. However, we as Ahmadi Muslims believe that Allah has already sent that person. He has already appointed a person from among the Ummah of the Prophet Muhammad, a follower of the Prophet Muhammad He has raised him as a prophet and after him, Khilafa was established. That person is Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, may peace be upon him, after whom Khilafat was re-established. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Auz billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show Day listeners. We'll be discussing the weather and the news now. Uh, before we delve into our first segment of the morning. So in terms of the UK weather, uh, heat health warning upgraded as heat wave forecast. So uh, the Met Office has said that, um, you know, most likely Wednesday and Thursday will be peaking across most parts of south and southeast with 32 degrees. Yeah. And thir- a 32 here in this country is, uh, and especially a 45 in like, yeah, you know, yeah, Middle Eastern countries exactly. or Asian countries. Exactly. And and in September, mm. that's very, very unusual. Yeah. Because this is a time where um, all the kids are going back to school. Yeah. And um, it's the first week of school, hmm. I believe. Well, my, my son's going to go later on this week. Yeah. But I think school's already started. Yeah, schools are so, start, uh, a lot of schools, I think, they've started today. Yeah. Um, so the first day yeah. of their school <laughs> is going to be a record. <laughs> but the thing is, um, you know, um, in it was uh, quite, not quite, it was very hot in a lot of other European countries, yeah, yeah. such as like Italy, Italy and Spain. Yeah. Italy had like wildfires, wildfires yeah, because yeah, yeah. of how hot it was. But yeah. we, during like the, you know, the June, yeah. July, August. We survived. We, we, yeah. we didn't experience anything. It, exactly. was, it was cold. It was raining. Maybe the heat is reaching us now. Yeah, the heat was After just the, the Europe, d- delayed Europe's a bit. Because yeah. Yeah. Italy was affected a lot. Yeah. Well, one of my friends was uh, over there at that time. And he was saying it was just mm. really, really hot. Yeah. And really humid as well. Yeah, so you can, you know, while the weather lasts, people can, you know, enjoy it. Mm. And, uh, you know, like... I think uh, it's it's only lasting for a week, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, roughly. So, yeah. But, but there's not uh, a lot of time to enjoy now as the kids are back to school, so... Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> even if you can, you know, get, do a quick getaway on the weekend or something. On the weekend, yeah. yeah the go, go to, like, the beach or something. Because you, you never know about English, English weather. Even though yeah. it's saying it's, it's a heat wave, hmm. in the afternoon, it could <laughs> everything could change. It's, it could it's start Engl- raining. It's England. We just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there was another <clears throat> news uh, article I wanted to discuss was about uh, you know Sarah Sharif. 
she was um she was a 10 year old uh, kid 10 year old girl who mm-hmm. lost her life uh, mm-hmm. she was found dead on uh, 10th august at her home in woking mm. and uh, you know um there's an uh, ongoing investigation as to what happened um okay. but uh, the mother uh, you know when she went to the mortuary and saw her daughter mm-hmm. she said she was so badly injured that she was you know like she the mom could not recognize her how old was the uh, she, she was 10 years old and mm, um yeah so you know um and she had multiple extensive injuries all over her body Mm. And which area was this? Or this was in Woking. In Woking. Yeah. That's that's really shocking. But mm. prayers go out to the family. Um, yeah. May Allah give them strength and patience. Hmm. But but it just shows that um, you never know. Yeah. What's out there and what what's going to happen when you have, especially when you have kids, hmm. you have to be really careful of when and you the, 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 the father and uh, his partner mm, have you know they fled to Pakistan so they, they're like uh, wanted by the police as well mm. so, we, so we they still don't know what happened yeah potentially mm. uh, father was originally from Poland and lived in the UK and uh, you know they've uh, but the mother's from the mother's from Pakistan Pakistan okay yeah mm. yeah the, that, that's really shocking actually her father uh and uh, the partner and the rest of the family all f- flew to Islamabad on 9th August and she was found dead on 10th August so oh yeah, mm. we're, we're, yeah. we're just speculating yeah. here but we'll let the police finish with the of investigation course. and see what the outcome is but you know our thoughts and prayers go out to all the family to, members yeah to to her essentially yeah, because especially. Uh, you know um, may Allah the Almighty you know grant her peace yeah uh, another, another news that I was um, seeing today, yeah. as we all know before that, um, you know, France has banned uh, Muslim girls to wear abaya in schools. Hmm. So a uh, news came in today that schools in France have now sent dozens of Muslim girls home for wearing abayas. Yeah. So um, some of them refused to change out of their um, abayas hmm. and now they've been sent home with letters hmm. to the parents on uh, secularism so basically they refused to take off their rabbis yeah. they told them to change into certain clothes and they refused so they sent them home with letters hmm. to their parents saying that this is why they've been sent home because they hmm. didn't apply to the demands hmm. to compare to the demands of the school which is really sad to be honest because you know at the yeah. end of the day you know when uh, <clears throat> even in France especially hmm. it should be in France or the universities hmm. when they graduate what do they wear Exactly. They wear the exactly. thobes, right? Yeah. It looks like an abaya. Yeah. So <laughs> what's the answer to that? And I was also reading, uh, especially, um, you know, in, um, you know, this tradition hmm. of wearing a thobe and a cap hmm. in universities when yeah. they graduate. It's it actually, from, yeah, uh, it actually like, came from the Muslim countries. Yeah. I think it was like ninth or 10th centuries hmm. when the uh, Western Europeans used to go to Muslim countries yeah. to have a, uh, education hmm. and then when they used to pass uh, they used to graduate hmm. they used to wear these gowns and yeah. these these hats yeah. and uh, then this um, culture came hmm. into the western culture and they adapted to it and apparently you know the the, the cap that they yeah. wear yeah. It's, it symbolizes the Quran because it's the highest form hmm. of knowledge hmm. and then the tassel that goes that yeah. comes down that's basically a bookmark, a bookmark so yeah. you just yeah, so you, you can just see that, how yeah. much yeah. <coughs> influence islam hmm. has had hmm. on the western culture isn't it hmm. but then then you have this side 
where they're trying to ban mm. the bias, which essentially looks like the gown, which they wear it out of respect, right? Mm. When they graduate, because they've mm. achieved something yeah. really, yeah. really high, and they're trying to essentially ban something, mm. which is the same. Mm. So it's just, it's just quite bizarre that uh, France has taken I this mean, step. I mean, we're living in, you know, the, the 21st century and we claim to be so progressive yeah. and, and freedom, of, know, speech, freedom uh, of speech and human rights and, and then uh, you have all of this and then you see this happening in a first world country. Exactly. And, you know, you're it's shocked. Shocking. Yeah, it's, it's shocking. shocking. Yep. Even, if you, even if you're not a Muslim, like mm. even if you're looking from an outside point of view, uh, a lot of people have, you know, spoken uh, up against this that, you know, like, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, literally... Like they speak about freedom yeah. all the time mm. and everyone having e- equal rights. Mm. But then when a Muslim woman turns around and says that, no, she wants to wear the hijab, mm. then you're putting these kind of sanctions on them. Exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly. completely the opposite. It's, it's, what, it's what so weird. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. And at the, at the end of the day, like hijab, mm. it protects a woman. Of it course. doesn't oppress them. Of course. Them. I, funnily enough, I was watching this video um, a couple of days ago, actually, mm. where they did like a social experiment. So a woman, I think it was New York. You how you know how New mm. York streets are really busy. Yeah. So at uh, first, a woman was walking down the New York street mm. with the normal Western clothes, like mm. jeans and a top. Um, and while she was walking, she was being filmed. So she had a hidden camera. Mm. So no one mm. saw the camera. So yeah. as she was walking, she would have numerous guys, mm. like a few steps. Every time she'd take like, say, five steps. Yeah. She'll have guys coming up to her, mm. approaching her, mm. calling her names, yeah. um, insulting her, asking mm. for her detail, asking mm. for her number, and she would just ignore them. Mm. So she had like, what, 20, 30 guys approaching mm. her, mm. just, I think it was 100 meters or yeah. 200 meters, you can say. And then she she basically changed out of those clothes mm. and wore a, a veil, a hijab. Mm. And at the same time, she was not approached by anyone. Mm. So you just it just goes to show that how how much a hijab actually protects yeah, a woman yeah. and her sanctity. Um, and with these social experiments, everything just comes to light. Mm. And if they are to accept this way, then mm. I, I'm, I'm sure the Western society will progress as well. And all these cases that we see of women being harassed and women yeah. being um, um, abused mm. in public, they won't be there. Because even a person who does not agree with Islam, when he mm. sees a woman in hijab mm. he has that sense of respect for her I'm sure yeah. and he's scared or he's, he's a bit wary to approach mm. her right definitely so Islam is just protecting women not oppressing them definitely mm. definitely That's, that, that is the case and you know we see that in the in the western society that you know everyone is taught about how uh, like you know uh our our body, our rights, and exactly. like body positivity. Exactly. exactly. But you know this, it, only uh, a few few decades back, you know, as, like uh, in the Victorian era, especially, everyone dressed so modestly. Hmm. You know, from it's, head exactly. to toe, they exactly. would wear clothing, and if anyone was to walk around like that, hmm. they, it would be thought as very shameful. Yeah. Right? Any pictures you see yeah. from like, the, yeah, um, um, the 14th century yeah. or, or or any other photos, you will hmm. see women literally dressed. From from head to toe, exactly, exactly. In that was their culture before, yeah, and now was it. But now, you know, um, I think that this whole thing that you know, women want to dress however they want, mm. and they're like, "This is our freedom to, you mm-hmm. know, dress with barely anything yeah, there." Right? Exactly. Is uh, technically you're 
this whole pro- propaganda I think has begun from from men teaching yeah, the women exactly. that this is your freedom exactly. essentially but you know this is the to lust and the gaze yeah, for their eyes yeah. that to they're fulfill their in, desires, to fulfill their desires they've implemented this yeah. kind of ideology teaching, in yeah. their mind and it's kind of they think it's right they think it's right yeah. right now isn't it yeah. it's their freedom but yeah. it all started from mm-hmm. men yeah, fulfilling exactly. their desires with, exactly. because they had wrong intentions exactly and even if you take a look at body positivity you know there's a lot of uh, uh, people you know today they're preaching that you know it's um it's basically fine to be overweight yeah right uh but it, you know this is a, this, this is probably a me- another agenda that's started the, no no it, we, we understand you know it's you shouldn't mock anyone that's what islam teaches yeah, yeah, right you shouldn't um say wrong about any anything mm. about anyone to anyone but uh this could be a medical condition for some people mm. right especially Which can't change yeah, especially those kids that are growing up they're looking up to these celebrities mm. who are you know overweight um to blatantly blatantly put it mm. they are overweight mm. and they're saying you know this is body positivity but it can lead to health, health risks, risks such as diabetes yeah. and uh, you know heart attacks mm. various other health risks and, and kids, it's not ki- kids are vulnerable they're just yeah. following what they're exactly. seeing their celebrities exactly. or their um idols do yeah. isn't and it and many doctors speak up about this as well that you this is not the real body positivity mm. that you should be preaching about real body positivity is get healthy have yeah. a good diet exercise yeah. make yourself stronger yeah and that's what islam that's what islam well. promotes as well and that's yeah. the, you know what does islam say islam says a, a, a strong believer is better than a weak believer right exactly so exactly. if you work on yourself you become yeah. strong and then your mind will be healthy as well definitely and mentally definitely. you'll be strong as well yeah So there's um this part of the news mm. that I also you know in, in India has made it to the to the moon um you know I'm sure <laughs> like uh, uh our other days uh, on the other days they've discussed this as well but you know it is a very big achievement as well because yes, considering that the rover but then you have also <laughs> The oh, conspiracy the, theorists. Yeah, the consp- <laughs> that, did it's they true. actually get to the it's moon, true. or did they, was it just a video? It could be, but it, let, let's just say it is. Yeah. Right. Uh, if, it, if it is, then it's a big achievement. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it is, and um, <laughs> supposedly cost less than filming. You know the space movies that they do film, like The Martian and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hollywood film, and uh, they spend like I think around seventy-five million or something. Yeah, of course, a lot, a lot of money. No, no, that's not. That's not a lot. Is it considering NASA's like H- how rover, much did they the the one NASA sent? It's cost like four hundred million, something oh. like that. Just a rover on its own. I'm saying the whole space mission how much cost around seventy five million. Oh, for India, for India. Oh. Whereas movies, uh, the Martian cost. Uh, I was reading around a hundred million. Is it? Yeah, and they make a lot more at box office, but. I'm saying they did it less the, than what yeah. the movies of space cost. They actually got to the moon yeah. in less money yeah. than what they make on here. Yeah. And supposedly now they're making another like a rocket or a ship type thing that will be uh, around um I don't think in the sun's orbit but near ish to the sun to study the sun. I don't know how that's going to work. No, like it, it won't be as close to to get burnt hmm. but it'll be very very so close. they can pick up some radiation yeah, yeah. so they can just probably study it. Hmm. That's so, that. That'll be yeah. a good good step. Yeah, and like no one's really done that before properly. Mm. So yeah, India is uh, you know there. Oh, India is working on India is working on this. Working ah, on this. Okay. Yeah, okay, and then uh, you know steps. we have uh, our home country Pakistan, mm. where you know our thoughts and prayers go out to all the Muslims that are struggling in that country, especially the empty yeah. Muslims who are uh, heavily persecuted yeah. over there in that country. <laughs> But uh, you know but the that, state there, the state yeah. of that uh, of that country of that nation. Especially is just, on social media, if you if you're yeah. on social media and you see the situation, mm. um, 
the cost of living hmm. over there and the fathers yeah. are not able to provide for the children mm. because the bills are so high so they're just surviving on well there's, there's no electricity there's yeah. no f- there's no sugar there's no mm. flour to to go and around. the petrol prices are petrol crazy, prices are crazy. Well. like india has gone to the moon <coughs> and our uh, our country pakistan yeah. uh, they recently a few months back uh, one of the flags in lahore one of the flag poles mm-hmm. they apparently <coughs> increased it to like 500 feet or something and they spent like 100 million on it and this made like breaking news that you know such an achievement yeah so i'm just like if you compare that to they how much how much money on that like like I don't know quite a lot. Yeah, quite but then they lot. don't. They, yeah. But but the the society yeah. is they're not they can't provide for the yeah. society over there. Yeah, but I'm saying you compare the progress to <laughs> the neighboring country, which is India. They've gone to the moon, and exactly. you know like uh, and a lot of their you know their like um, like you know their capitals, the capital cities, you mm. know Mumbai and stuff, mm. Delhi. They're they're progressing. They're well, yeah. you know very high up compared yeah, exactly. to like Karachi or Lahore or mm. Islamabad. Mm. You will find many problems that you do in like the rural areas mm. over there as well. I, th- I think there's a problem with you know with, if, with the leaders of the yeah, country exactly, right? and and the true teachings of Islam yeah. because obviously Pakistan is a is a Muslim country, yeah. but if the true teachings are not implemented, mm. that's what happens, and exactly. we're seeing the state right now. Exactly. Yeah. And as soon as you drift away from Islam, mm. you just drift away from everything. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully they can come back to the true God Islam. Willing. God willing. Yeah, God willing. Um, in in other news, um, yeah. <coughs> Leicester City helicopter crash. Um, hmm. I think a few years ago, you know, the the owner of the Leicester City Football Club, hmm. he died in a helicopter crash. Yeah. So now they are saying that that crash was caused by a sequence of failures. Um, the pilot of the helicopter that crashed outside Leicester City Stadium, uh, killing five people, including the chairman of the club, at that time um, said, I have no idea what's going on as it spun out of control. Hmm. So the final report into the crash has now been published and it's concluded the pilot could do very little to save those on board. The crash claimed the lives of, uh, as I just mentioned, those five people and the chairman of Leicester. Hmm. Um, the Air Accidents Investigation Branch final report said a tail rotor bearing seized, which in turn caused the crash. So there was a technical fault and uh, the a- the AAIB said the crash was inevitable after a sequence of mechanical failures. So that's one of the news that's out uh, today that they have finally reached a conclusion on the crash that happened in Leicester killing the chairman of the football club. Hmm. Um, in other news... There's a, a Canada truck attack. Man pleads not guilty to murdering Muslim family in Ontario. Oh. A Canadian man accused of murdering four members of a Muslim family with his vehicle in London, Ontario, has pleaded not guilty. Hmm. Uh, he is accused of intentionally targeting the family because of their faith, running them over in 2021. And he killed, you know, the uh, the wife and the husband and, like, two of their kids. Uh, there was a nine-year-old son as well who was seriously hurt but survived. And uh, you know, the, it's just 
it's so sad you know mm-hmm. uh, mr the, the the murderer was arrested shortly after the attack in a parking lot close to london's oldest mosque where the afzal family were devoted members mm. so you know our thoughts and prayers go out yeah. to that family as, as well and to that to the son who survived mm. and will have to live with the guilt you know there's something called survivor's guilt yeah when uh, there's an accident or something and you you're the only survivor yeah. you know it's, it can eat you up exactly because you're the only one that's left yeah um another news uh, which is everywhere on the headlines is that Birmingham City Council mm. are now declaring itself effectively bankrupt yeah so the council has now itself declared to be bankrupt mm. after equal pay deals drain resources yeah so they basically the city council are unable to cover costs mm. because extra claims are worth up to 760 million mm. so uh, that's a bit of a shocking news as we never ex- expect yeah. a council mm. to be bankrupt right but the, the government might so well, mm. you know like but it just shows mm. that the state that yeah. england is in yeah. right financial I mean, it's crisis the first time like anyone this has happened in history exactly i've i've never come across yeah. it i'm not sure if it has happened it probably yeah. maybe has but but like it's the first time yeah. i'm hearing about yeah. it as well like it just exactly it, it sounds uh, you know so those those that are relying on the mm. council for benefits or yeah. any other financial um, freedom hmm. they will be affected not even financial freedom they just need it to survive yeah so they'll be affected yeah. as well hello yeah Um, so hopefully you know the government can look into this and you know find yeah. a, a good better solution yeah. to fix this <laughs> another well, well funny story yeah is or uh, well, the daily star the paper is that the great fool of china hmm. so it reports that <laughs> on china's great wall being damaged by hmm. workers looking for a shortcut to work so they were getting late to work and they were looking for a shortcut so <laughs> two people have been detained hmm Uh, as they damaged the great wall of china yeah because they were getting late and they wanted a shortcut <laughs> to work so that's a bit of a you know the some of the steps that lead up to the wall they have like the footprints of people have been embedded into the steps even though they're made of stone mm. because so many yeah, like people, millions of people uh, go there yeah, yeah over the years it's literally mm. like yeah it's yeah. it's one of the wonders of the world isn't yeah. it yeah and Yeah, it's one of the things that hmm. I think was worth wanna, seeing. Go see yeah, one day as well, yeah, one inshallah. day, inshallah. I, also, there was um, news I was hearing while on the way. Royal Mail, hmm. um, they might be cancelling deliveries of letters on Saturdays. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently, they're they're in a really bad state, and six, in nine years, they were saying that sixty percent of the letters have been uh, missing. So they haven't delivered sixty percent oh, wow. of the letters. So they're in quite of a bad state. Sixty percent. That's 60, like you that's send two exactly. letters, and more than one that's, letter that's, will be missing. That, that's what's reported. So sixty <laughs> percent of the letters, if you send it through Royal Mail, yeah. it didn't reach. Yeah. <laughs> so those people and that the, and the CEO, we talked about this earlier as well on hmm. one of the shows. And the CEO makes around five hundred and forty something million a year. A year. That's the salary, mm. and like. Um, He gave himself like he says that it's from an independent body that gives the bonuses. Mm. I guess like a uh, including that five hundred forty million or whatever, the the bonus is like around a hundred, two hundred million, 
and his base salary is like a lot as well mm. and uh, he was getting uh, you know he was getting uh, scrutinized and he was uh, the, they were asking him questions on some sort of uh, you know like debate bench mm. like why how do you justify the salary where's the money going huh but he's just like what was his answer no no, 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 no answer no, yeah no it was just like uh, he was just beating around the bush there was no oh, like you know it? proper answer but you can't yeah. justify that if, yeah that's that's why that's why yeah. i think it's the state that's going towards now hmm. it's because of these kind of actions that yeah. the the leaders have been taking How so can let's you justify that i'm not too sure like we have a royal mail just, just he thinks he's a footballer or something <laughs> <laughs> we have one just outside the, yeah. our mosque so hmm. so yeah. uh, dear listeners we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far um Sorry, I was saying 500 million. I'm sorry about that. It was 415,000. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. But that's still a lot. Yeah. Right? Of course. 415,000. Yeah. Uh, and he also received uh, a bonus of 400,000. His yearly salary is 450,000 mm-hmm. and he also received a bonus of 400,000. Bonus for what? For being the CEO. <laughs> God knows yeah. but uh, yeah, they listen we'll be taking a very short break and um, we will be getting back into it and discussing our first segment of the morning don't go anywhere and please do join us after a very short break with so many attacks on islam and the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam let's set the record straight he was a man of peace he went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs he was mocked and ridiculed but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace when he went to taif to spread the message of islam He was pelted with stones until he was bleeding yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace when he migrated to medina he established the charter of medina allowing the jews christians and muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace and after all the oppression that he faced when he returned to makka as a king he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that no white man is superior to a black man no arab to a non-arab rather everyone is equal he freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers he did all of this because he was sent as the rahmatul lil alamin a mercy for mankind indeed the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was a true man of peace There is no excellence the possibility of which is vouched for by reason of which God almighty is bereft like an unfortunate human being the wisdom of no wise one can point to an excellence which is not to be found in God almighty the maximum of all excellences that a person can conceive of is found in him he is perfect from every point of view in his being his attributes and his good qualities and he is absolutely free from all defects this is a truth which distinguishes a true religion from a false one when a person experiences in the shape of beneficence those divine attributes which constitute his beauty his faith is strengthened beyond measure and he is drawn towards god as iron is drawn towards a magnet his love for god increases manifold 
and his trust in God becomes very strong. Having experienced that all his good is in God, his hopes in God are strengthened. He continues to incline towards God naturally, without pretense and affectation, and finds himself dependent upon God's help every moment, and believes firmly, through the contemplation of divine attributes, that he will be successful, because he has experienced, in his own person, many instances of God's grace, favour and generosity. Therefore, his supplications proceed from the fountain of power and certainty, and his resolve becomes extremely firm and unshakable. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion, and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show, dear listeners. So our first segment of the morning, uh, thefts in London, are they investigated enough or will there be plans for improvement? Uh, the Home Secretary has told the police that they must investigate every theft and follow all reasonable leads to catch offenders. Suella Braveman, um, Braverman said it was completely unacceptable that criminals are often effectively free to break certain laws. She wants officers to use evidence from smart doorbells and dash cams to solve more theft-related crimes. Mm. But the Police Federation of England and Wales said forces are already stretched beyond human limits. Data shows that just 4.4% of all theft offences result in someone being charged. Yeah, that's very low. 4.4%, that means... Like hardly anyone yeah. gets caught you, or gets charged. There's like probably a bigger chance of winning the lottery yeah. than hey, you getting the person who who, but, who robbed you but, but, getting that back. But you know, um, a theft, especially of like a house theft, because I know no. a couple of families who were burgled mm. and literally everything, gold to valuables, mm. was taken from them. Yeah, and that affects the family a lot. Definitely. So they definitely. they should be taking these kind of matters mm. seriously and looking into. But like you know, yeah, I understand. I completely understand. But you know, the maybe the family needs to look into better measures as well. Mm. If they do have a lot of like you know gold lying around, yeah, because you, you can't trust you anyone. Can't trust anyone. Yeah, uh, just uh, the society. Unfortunately, we live in. Yeah. Um, new guidance on investigating such crimes to be issued all forces in England and Wales, and uh, you know, um, 
only 3.9% of residential burglaries result in someone being charged, as spoken earlier, and only 1.8% <coughs> of vehicle thefts result in someone being charged. We, yeah, we do have a guest caller on the show, um, goes by the name of Salim Rahim, I believe. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Um, well, yes, sir. Thank you very much. Um, well, I apologize in advance because I, I, I know your topic is this one, but I just wanted to briefly touch upon another point you made a bit earlier today, which uh, I just, uh, if it's okay. Yes, so yes, yes, go the clothing, ahead. Okay, yes, so regarding the clothing, I just want to say that uh, as male members, we know that uh, the high percentage of Muslim women, they wear traditional clothes and head coverings. But as male members, if we follow the tradition, don't shy away from our uh, uh, background. You know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, used to wear loose clothing and uh, a sheet around, uh, clothes, cloth around his head. And it, and it's actually in this current climate, wearing people think wearing less will be better. In actual fact, it's the opposite because you're di- in direct contact with the elements, mm. and and uh, your body would overheat. The best solution is to wear loosely fitted clothing, mm. which creates a uh, cooling effect and airflow. So, uh, ultimately, what I want to just uh, say is that. Uh, you know, I, I myself, even I, when I go out, I do try to wear the traditional long shirt and, and the head covering and uh, it benefits. And overall, I think this will be a positive for everybody. So that's all I wanted to sort of just leave uh, to, as a thought. Mm. Most definitely, most definitely. You know, it's a very good point uh, you raised. Um, From a medical have, point of yeah, view as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Uh, do you have any thoughts uh, about the topic that we're discussing at hand, if you would like to share about, you know, thefts in London, how, you know, barely any of them are being investigate, investigated, or even if they do, uh, you know, the criminals most definitely will get away, most likely? Only point I would say on this one is, Unfortunately, there's a, there's a thing which I have is having defense, end goal of defense is violence. So only point and only humble uh, piece I would like to say for everybody out there listening is, as I said, the end goal of defense is violence. Do not carry weapons, do not carry anything mm-hmm. which is cause harm to anybody else. Because if you do carry a weapon as a defense mechanism, the end goal of defense is violence. Mm. So ultimately, you don't carry that. Be humble, be good. Mm. And, you know, the overall picture is that we have to care and look after society. I mean, there's a bigger picture on this. There's probably a lot of work we have to, uh, uh, and a lot of um, discussion we have to make. But that's my point on this one yeah that's that's, that's a very good advice definitely. actually because even if you are being robbed at that time and you, you are should carrying never something try to be yeah. a hero right yeah because, because you could forfeit you could, your life or yeah. you know someone you could around, lose your life. You, around you could uh you but know those valuables well. exactly those valuables you could always gain back but exactly. your life you're not able to yeah. gain back yeah. so that's a really good advice that you've given us yeah definitely uh thank you for joining us uh, this morning it's yeah. been a pleasure speaking to you for now take care thank have a good morning and assalamu alaikum warahmatullah 
So you know that was a, a very interesting advice that he gave, especially you know in regards to wearing uh, loose clothing, yeah. clothing and how that creates like you know airflow and ventilation yeah. and is good for the body as well. Yeah. And uh, you know it was a practice of the yeah. Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah. I, I, th- I think we forget that every every command that God has yeah. given us, there's there's wisdom behind it. Yeah, Maybe we don't understand right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. but as we progress, as humanity progresses, science, science progresses, yeah. there's more and more. Um, um, a, um, experiences that mm. we go through and we're able to learn more from it definitely, definitely. so yeah if we do um, look at ourselves and follow the teachings of Quran and God mm. um, we will benefit from everything inshallah God willing inshallah we do have a b- brief audio clip in regards to this topic so let's listen to that one some Ahmadis have supported um, the uh, uh, interpretation of the Quranic verse relating to the punishment of theft as meaning imprisonment or something else other than the actual amputation of the hands. Is such a view valid, particularly since it's contrary to the practice of the Holy Prophet, or so it appears? It all stems from a meaning attributed to Qatayyad. Some people insist that Qatayyad, the word used for the, by the Holy Quran for severing one's hand, also means to put somebody out of circulation, to make him ineffective. And uh, they also quote from the Holy Quran referring to the verse, Tabbat yada avi lahabim And it says that virtually, practically, now not virtually but practically, literally, the hands of Abu Lahab were never severed and they remained intact and healthy. They were not destroyed. But virtually he was destroyed and he he was made ineffective in his efforts to destroy Islam. So taking their cue from this as well, they say that if a thief is made ineffective in any manner so that he cannot steal again, that purpose is also served by this verse. So that is why they say it, but it's an open question. It has to be investigated and uh, found out definitely to what what extent. But as far as the practical, the first uh, uh, literal translation is concerned, we know positively that Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa ordered the severing of hand. And one should not be ashamed of this. If you are running away from this through shame, being ashamed of an Islamic teaching while you are facing a modern world, this is the wrong attitude. Because that will be insulting Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa too. Because if an act is to be ashamed of in his time, uh, then it should be an act of shame for this time as well, and vice versa. So, that is nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, the Islamic system of punishment has to be examined in context of Islamic moral teaching and the atmosphere of high moral standard which Islam endeavors to establish in a society. When that happens, then the society rises to such heights 
as crimes become very rare and unnatural. Without uh, creating that society, if you go for criminal punishments, you will be doing great injustice to Islam. For example, it is also established that anybody who steals because the hunger compels him, his hand will never be severed. So in a society where millions of people are left unattended and many of them die of hunger and their basic needs are not uh, uh, provided by that society, however big loud their claim be to Islamization, they do not deserve and they have no right to introduce Islamic system of punishment because Islamic system of provision has not been, not been produced. An Islamic system of morality has not been introduced. So to go for Islamic punishment without all these prerequisites is totally wrong. This is why it looks so strange. And then there is Islamic standard of uh, evidence and the whole society is turned into a truthful society. Without that, if you, for example, introduce the Islamic system of punishment for fornication or adultery in a country, I shouldn't name any country because they would be, they would be hurt, maybe. But there are certain countries where it is a common crime and it's a common crime to tell lies and for five rupees or so you can buy evidence. So if Islamic system of punishment in, in, is introduced in such a country, what would happen that the few people who do not indulge in fornication, they would be killed and they will be lashed by those who indulge in fornication. And it's so easy for them to produce false evidence. So if the standard of evidence is totally un-Islamic, how can you introduce Islamic system of punishment? It is putting the horse before the uh, cart before the horse. First create the prerequisites which Islam creates with effort and labor. And Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa created with great endeavor. Then you have a right to introduce the punishment part which will come in the end, not before. So that was uh, the fourth caliph uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat uh, Mirza Masood Ahmed. Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth caliph of the MD Muslim community. Uh, may Allah have mercy on him. Uh, you know, he was speaking uh, in regards to theft in is, uh, uh, and the teaching of Islam about, you know, cutting the hands in terms yeah. of theft. Yeah. Um, so and he was saying there's, there's a pre, sorry, uh, there was a, there's a prerequisite to this punishment. You can't just, you know, you can't just go around cutting the hands of any any person who's stealing, think, right? Yeah. Um, first, you have to have an Islamic, like, you know, system established in the country. And, um, you know, uh, for those people who are suffering from hunger, yeah. if they're ha having to steal for that, they, th this punishment does not apply to them. Yeah. Because it, you have to look in terms of the society, how yeah. the society is doing, yeah. how well the society is doing. If the society is doing, society is doing very well, mm. and then um, you see a case where a theft is happening. Yeah. Um, then, of course, to mm. because it's better to punish one person and 
give a lesson to the rest of the society than punishing a lot of peoples. Most definitely. In, in, instead definitely. of just one, right? Most definitely. Uh, we are coming to a uh, to a close uh, before we, you know, take a short break for the news, um, and um, just like to remind the listeners that this is a live show. Uh, we did have a live uh, guest caller just now, uh, so you can also call in at any time. Oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call, or you can tweet us at the Voice of Islam UK, and. Uh, for now, dear listeners, uh, we're going to be taking a very short news break. Don't go anywhere and uh, do join us after the news break and we will carry on discussing this topic and finish it up. And then we will go into the next segment. Three days that Ahmadi Muslims celebrate and are they contrary to the teachings of Islam? Now, these three days at first face value seem to be more pertinent to the calendar of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. But in reality, when we look a little bit deeper and understand the wider connotation, we understand that they are important, not just to the Ahmadi Muslims, but indeed to Muslims across the world and indeed theists throughout the globe. These three days, namely celebrating the day of the promised Messiah, celebrating the day of the promised son and celebrating the institution of Khilafat or Caliphate are such that are incredibly important in our day-to-day religion. But they're important also because of the fact that they refer to prophecies made by the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. It was he that said that these events would occur. The promised Messiah, for example, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, said that in the latter days, an eschatological figure or a figure in the latter days would emerge to rejoin man with man, but also man with God. And therefore, we celebrate the fact that this grand prophecy made almost a millennia and a half ago has come true. The allegation that uh, is the celebration of these days something which we should be um, abstaining from? Of course not. Something as joyous and something as jubilant as the fulfillment of a grand prophecy of our Grand Master, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, proving not only the truth of the promised Messiah, but proving the truth of the Holy Prophet and indeed proving the existence of God. Is that not something to be happy and jubilant about? Then we have the concept of the Caliphate, the establishment of Khilafat. Again, this is something which is mentioned by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. Prophesied that Khilafat Allah min Haji Nabuwa, Caliphate upon the precepts of prophethood, would come to existence. Again, something which is also mentioned in the Holy Quran itself. So when we see after so many years something so blessed coming into being that gives meaning to our very life, is this not something to be happy and to celebrate? Then the third day is the day of the promised son. Again, we understand that when God sends his prophets to earth, he does not send them empty-handed. Rather, he sends them furnished and armed with beautiful signs of truth to prove the claims that they make. This, this concept and this prophecy of the uh, promised son, who indeed was Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, who later on became the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, this was a grand prophecy which showed that God indeed was on the side of the promised Messiah, thereby proving not only his claim, but also the claim that this Messiah would indeed come furnished with signs, as was said and foretold by, you guessed it, 
the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. Therefore, these three days, of course, they are in accordance with the teachings of Islam. Indeed, they are prophesied by no less than the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. A man makes a prophecy 1400 years ago, they come true. Are we not going to be celebrating and be joyous at that? On a side note, the concept of celebration, indeed many people will raise this allegation because of the fact that they allege that this is a, an innovation to celebrate these days. But as we've mentioned, it is in complete accordance with the teachings of the Holy Quran and the prophecies of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. And we're not talking about celebration like we're setting off cartwheels and fireworks and dancing. This is a celebration of the signs of God, where we bring people together to remember God, to talk about the signs and the glory of God. And this is actually told as an injunction in the Holy Quran. It says in chapter 14, verse 6, that remind them of the days and the signs of God. Therefore, this is not contrary, rather it is completely in accordance with the teachings of Islam and something which absolutely everyone should be involved in because of the fact that what else is there to be joyous about for a theist, God-believing community than to celebrate the glorious and wonderful proofs and signs of God. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show, dear listeners. We were discussing about theft in London, and uh, you know, just to wrap up this topic, we will be touching upon a bit of uh, you know a Islamic angle on this. Um, so there is a there is a hadith uh, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and uh, blessings of Allah be upon him, narrated by um, uh, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. She narrates that the Messenger of Allah, um, may Allah be pleased with him, avert the legal penalties from the Muslims as much as possible. If he has a way out, then leave him to his way. For the Imam makes a mistake in forgiving it would be better than making a mistake than making mistake in punishment. So mm. essentially, you know, we were speaking about uh, the fourth um, caliph of the MD Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. Uh, briefly, we listened to his audio clip. He was speaking about how there needs to be a proper Islamic society in place to give the Islamic punishment of, uh, you know, the cutting the hands. Mm. So it's better, wh- whatever way, this hadith basically says, whatever way there is out for a person, you should, you know, uh, avail that, mm. right? Yeah. And uh, because in it's, it's much better. Uh, if the imam makes a mistake in forgiving, it would be better than making a mistake in punishment. Yeah. yeah. And um, <coughs> um, further, uh, you know, the Promised Messiah also says, uh, the Promised Messiah, uh, the founder of the MD Muslim community, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, says, also says in our teaching, thus in light of the Quran, neither is punishment praiseworthy in all cases, nor is forgiveness commendable in all circumstances. Mm. Rather, it encourages the ability to judge circumstances ab- appropriately. Any retribution or forgiveness ought to be uh, administered in proper accordance with the circumstances and with wisdom, not arbitrarily. This is true import of the Quran, and unlike the Gospel, the Quran does not encourage you to love your enemies, rather it teaches you to dissolve your personal enmities and show compassion to everyone. Yeah. So it teaches the middle path, not you know, not just to either uh, an eye for an eye or turn the other cheek, yeah. but the middle path. 
yeah. where sometimes you know punishment is necessary for the betterment of society and if you forgive that's even better yeah. in the eyes of Allah yeah um i think another point is that you know as we are ahmadi muslims um we have uh, our 10 conditions of bed hmm. uh, which is set out by the promised messiah yeah. and the second condition um it stands out regarding this topic hmm. uh, which is the second one and and the fourth condition which is that he shall keep away from falsehood cruelty adultery hmm. dishonesty disorder rebellion and every kind of evil yeah and the fourth one is that he shall not inflict injury on any of Allah's creatures hmm. so these two conditions have been put forward by the promised messiah that if you are going to be a true ahmadi muslims you must comply with and this comes in relation with the topic um, theft that we hmm. have been discussing today just a few more facts and figures in regards to this that um until march 2023 73.7% of theft cases were closed because no suspect had been identified this is the highest rate of for any category of crime and um in uh, in april the government announced it had reached its target of recruiting an additional 20,000 more police officers in england and wales bringing the overall number of officers to 149,572 so um in london data from the met police showed last year that 250 mobile phones were stolen a day an average of one every 6 minutes and essentially you know those people they they get away yeah no the, i remember a few years back there was this a gang hmm. which started on mopeds yeah, yeah. so they would just on, ride on, around on electric scooters yeah, as well electric scooters as well yeah. so they would just ride around the city just and grabbing, grabbing phones. the phones of people's hands yeah. and just driving away yeah. and with the data that you've just yeah. read out one phone every 6 minutes 6 minutes that's a that's a crazy amount yeah. of thefts happening hmm. in london yeah so the quran uh, the holy quran also admonishes equity Uh, the uh, the Quran also mentions equity and admonishes disorder in several places such as and oh my people pl- give full measure and full weight with equity and defraud not people of their things and commit not inequity in the earth causing disorder and diminish not unto people their things nor go about the earth creating disorder so you know this goes completely against the teachings of Islam and you know if uh, everyone were to follow the true teachings of islam in sh- uh, god willing you know the society would get better and uh, we can come to a better uh, a better circumstances for everyone to live in yeah um so we'll now be moving on to our second segment of the morning um what does our second segment uh, so our second segment brother? of today's show is regarding adhd um it's sevenfold increase in adult ADHD prescriptions over 10 years so the number of adults receiving an NHS prescription for ADHD has now increased sevenfold over the last 10 years uh, this is uh, being said by BBC Scotland um the ADHD disorder which involves behavioral effects has traditionally been linked to children however recent data from public health scotland reveals that almost as many adults are now receiving ADHD so initially it started off being linked to just children but now they are saying that the data shows that almost as many adults as children are now receiving ADHD treatment uh, they also reveal a noticeable increase in adult prescriptions following the covid pandemic so maybe the covid pandemic had an 
<clears throat> sort of effect on the development of the ADHD. And it has prom- uh, prom- prompted a need for more funding for services that support those who have the condition. Uh, the disorder, which involves behavioral effects, has traditionally been linked to children, as I mentioned. Um, <clears throat> the th- uh, while investigating the subject uh, of the work of Mary Carrera, who was diagnosed with this, um, she's a digital content designer for the NHS. 20, uh, she noticed the symptoms in herself. The, ter- the 37-year-old stated, I was like, that's me on the screen, all those symptoms. Hmm. So she basically read these symptoms and yeah. she said to herself that she has these symptoms. Hmm. Would you have we do, our yeah. first uh, guest <coughs> of the morning in regards to this topic uh, online with us, uh, Andrea Bilbo OBE, uh, who is the founder and chief executive National Attention Deficit Disorder Information and Support Services. Um, good morning, peace be upon you and uh, welcome to The Breakfast Show. Hello. Good morning. Hello, can you hear yes, me? Yes, yes, we can hear you now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, just to begin, uh, for our listeners out there, could you please, please explain what ADHD is and what are some of the symptoms of ADHD? Okay. Well, it's one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders in childhood. You know, so we do see a lot of it. Um, usually it's diagnosed, you know, in childhood and last right up into adulthood. And we've seen lately a big explosion in the diagnosis of adults in this country. A lot of it is to do with the fact that many, many children got missed, you know, in their early years. Um, so what are the symptoms? So for the children, they you know, have very poor levels of impulse control, hmm. highly impulsive, um, can't regulate their emotions. You know, they can be extremely happy, extremely sad. They just can't put a, a break on emotions. Um, they often struggle with their working memory. So, you know, when you ask your children, when you go upstairs, please, and, and uh, brush your teeth and put your pajamas on and bring down your books, um, usually they don't remember what you said. You've gone upstairs and then you've lost them. And mm-hmm. it's very frustrating for, for parents. Yeah. Um, they can talk excessively, talk a lot, ask a lot of questions. Um, don't wait for the answers. You know, you, you're trying to answer question one and they're already on question three or four. Mm. Um <laughs> They're insatiable. They want everything now, 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 now. They don't feel the passing of time. Mm, yeah. And in adults, you know, in adults, you know, it's a little bit different. You have less of a hyperactivity in adults. Um, but a lot of adults with ADHD will also have problems with memory, disorganisation, and one of the worst things is procrastination. You know, just getting mm. started on a task. You know, that can just take forever. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's you know, it, it's a condition that that I think is a. Is, is widely misunderstood and it is complex. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned that uh, it's in children and adults also, um, yes. what age would you say that we can monitor this at a, uh, at, on a child? Well, I would think we should, we should be picking it up very early. So, you know, I think parents know, I mean, I'm, I'm a parent of two children and now adults, and I knew from the very beginning that there was something different. And I think we should be at least, you know, identifying it as around the age of five. Mm. Um, as children go into school, go into reception, um, you, you find that the children who, who just, you know, a lot of children are hyperactive and impulsive, but when they get into reception class, mm. most children will settle because they'll settle into routine and structure. But for children with ADHD, they don't settle, and that's when you begin to see it, you know, that, that, that this is a real problem. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, what causes a person to have ADHD or to be in the spectrum of ADHD? Well, it's primarily genetic. Hmm. So, you know, it, it's highly inheritable. So yeah. if a parent has it, often both parents, uncle, cousin, grandparents, whatever, you know, it is, um, it, there is a, a big role in, in the genetic link to ADHD. Um, but then there also are a minority of, of, of people who develop ADHD through a brain injury um, or premature birth can also play a part. Hmm. And there's quite a bit of research now looking at the link between um, the drinking alcohol and smoking during pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's lots of little little things that may contribute to it, but primarily it, it, it's, it's, it's genetic. Hmm. And uh, how can we help people with ADHD to receive the best treatment and support from our society? Well, I think the first thing is education. To me, it's always education. As, as a parent, yeah. educate yourself about the condition. Find out whatever you can. Go to the support groups. Go to the voluntary sector. Um, you know, understand. Because if you don't understand the condition and mm. your child, you don't know what you want to ask for. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, get the help as soon as possible. And then the other thing is, I think, is stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Stay healthy. Develop good eating habits. Nutrition is very good for the brain. It's not going to treat ADHD, but if you've got ADHD, that's a vulnerability so you know good healthy brain yeah uh, limiting limiting screen time because there's always a risk of addiction mm. um so if you've got children are using ipads just make sure mm. that you limit it regulate it yeah that kind of thing yeah, yeah. so uh, recent news shows that there were there was a drastic increase uh, of the number of adhd prescriptions prescribed to patients uh what do you think has caused this increase well you know, every year, I've been running this organization for 28 years, and yeah. every year it comes out in the, paper, <laughs> in the papers that there's been a huge increase in prescriptions, yeah. you know. Um, well, you know, it's because as we're becoming more aware of the condition, the diagnostic rates are going up. So, of course, the diagnostic rates are going up, yeah. prescription rates are going up. Yeah. And as I said before, the huge increase in <coughs> adult, adult diagnosis obviously is going to have an impact on the increase in the prescriptions. But you also have to remember that now, because it's a controlled drug that's used, prescriptions are monthly. Hmm. So they have they can only have one a month. So most people are having about 12 prescriptions a year. And some are having more because as you titrate, they'll give a prescription for maybe a week or two weeks. So for some people, there's four prescriptions in a month. So it's, uh, you know, we have to be careful, I think, you know, equating the number yeah. of prescriptions to the number of people being diagnosed. Hmm. Uh, do you think uh, environment is a factor to this as well? I think envir- environment can play a role. So I don't think it's the cause, hmm. but uh, this is why, as an organisation, we work with families to to help change the environment. You know, if you if a child is in a school environment where there's no support, where the teachers don't accept the condition, it will make the symptoms worse. If you get the wrong punishments, it will make the symptoms worse. Hmm. Um, yes, too much screen time, too much you know television, too much too much of a lot of things will make the problem worse. Yeah. Um, you know, so so. It's really, as I said before, scaffolding your child, educating yourself, making sure the people involved in the life of your child are putting in the right interventions and the right support for your child. Yeah. And uh, just for our listeners out there, why did you, you know, want to pursue this career path? Well, you know, my children were diagnosed, oh, my youngest is 36. 
so yeah, yeah. So twenty twenty nine years ago, my mm. children were diagnosed with ADHD, and at that time, nobody knew anything about it. Mm. And I struggled as a parent to find information. Um, but I was fortunate enough that I was able to travel, and I was able to go to America, and I was able to go to Australia, and I got information, and I learned, went to conferences, um, and became very, very knowledgeable about the condition. And then I have ADHD myself, and um, people who understand this condition know children with ADHD, adults with ADHD, we have a strong sense of justice. <coughs> and yeah. I just felt so many children were being let down. I was able to get help for my child, but what about all the other children who were struggling? Mm. Because in those days, 30 years ago, you know, there were very few people yeah. being diagnosed. So I just made it my mission to help people, and, and I've just spent the last 28 years helping people get help for their children. That's it. Yeah, um, and as you have uh, a lot of experience in this, um, yeah. what would you say is the best treatment or the most effective treatment that you've come across for this, for ADHD? Um, I think treatment for ADHD is a mixture of things. It's, it's a combina combination of education, um, medication and behavioural interventions. Um, you cannot use one on their own. They all, you know, the research shows very clearly that the best treatment is a combination of medication and behavioural interventions. Um, and as an organisation, that's one of the things that we do. We provide um, a six-week course for parents, which educates them about the condition and also gives them the, the strategies to to kind of coach their children, manage the behaviours, and doing it in a way that's not punitive. Because children with ADHD thrive on rewards. We've got to constantly reward them. And mm. if we want them to do things, we need to reward them, we need to praise them a lot. You know, mm. we have they need more praise than the average child. Is praising good though, would you say? Yes, yes. More that more yes. You you need to praise your children because they are motivated by reward. So praise is a form of reward. So if you praise them, they, they get that, that you know, really good uh, dopamine hit from praise, makes them feel good, makes them want to get more of it, makes them want to please you more. But wouldn't that affect them later on, life, as they will yeah. always be looking to please others and get their approval? Well, no, because, you know, as you grow up, you mature. and every, Everybody's personality is different. There, yes, there are, there are some adults in life who are, who are people pleasers and they want to please everybody, yes. Mm. But, you know, as, as you become an adult and you, you, you mature eventually, we hope, you will know the difference between, you know, inappropriate needs, need for, for, for praise. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, uh, Andrea. It's been a pleasure speaking with you You're in regards to this. Um, for now, take care, have a good morning and peace be upon yeah, you. Yeah, you too. Peace be upon you too. Thank, thank you. you. So that was uh, Andrea Bilbo OBE. So she received uh, an award from uh, Her Majesty the Queen in 2012 for working, mm -hmm. supporting, for working, for work, for work supporting families with ADHD. Uh, mm. And Obi is officer of the Order of the British Empire, mm. so, so it's a prestigious award, you know. And she's a big achievement. Yeah, yeah, she's been doing great work out there, yeah. and uh, you know, raising awareness. As she was saying, the main thing is education. Yeah, that um, and she felt the need that there's other kids out there, the children out there that mm. need to be helped, and she took yep. that step forward, which uh, is a very, very good step towards giving no, definitely, definitely. humanity benefit. Uh, so, dear listeners, we'll be taking a very short break and then uh, getting back into it. And we will also be speaking to another uh, uh, professional about this. So don't go anywhere and do join us after a very short break. Three days that Ahmadi Muslims celebrate and are they contrary to the teachings of Islam? Now, these three days, at first face value, seem to be more pertinent to the calendar of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. But in reality, when we look a little bit deeper 
and understand the wider connotation. We understand that they are important, not just to the Ahmadi Muslims, but indeed to Muslims across the world, and indeed theists throughout the globe. These three days, namely celebrating the day of the promised Messiah, celebrating the day of the promised son, and celebrating the institution of Khilafat or Caliphate, are such that are incredibly important in our day-to-day religion. But they're important also because of the fact that they refer to prophecies made by the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. It was he that said that these events would occur. The promised Messiah, for example, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, said that in the latter days, an eschatological figure or a figure in the latter days would emerge to rejoin man with man, but also man with God. And therefore, we celebrate the fact that this grand prophecy made almost a millennia and a half ago has come true. The allegation that uh, is the celebration of these days something which we should be um, abstaining from? Of course not. Something as joyous and something as jubilant as the fulfillment of a grand prophecy of our Grand Master, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, proving not only the truth of the promised Messiah, but proving the truth of the Holy Prophet and indeed proving the existence of God. Is that not something to be happy and jubilant about? Then we have the concept of the Caliphate, the establishment of Khilafat. Again, this is something which is mentioned by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him prophesied that Khilafat Allah min Haji Nabuwa, Caliphate upon the precepts of prophethood, would come to existence. Again, something which is also mentioned in the Holy Quran itself. So when we see after so many years, something so blessed coming into being, that gives meaning to our very life, is this not something to be happy and to celebrate? Then the third day is the day of the promised son. Again, we understand that when God sends his prophets to earth, He does not send them empty-handed. Rather, he sends them furnished and armed with beautiful signs of truth to prove the claims that they make. This this concept and this prophecy of the uh, promised son, who indeed was Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, who later on became the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, this was a grand prophecy which showed that God indeed was on the side of the promised Messiah, thereby proving not only his claim, but also the claim that this Messiah would indeed come furnished with signs, as was said and foretold by, you guessed it, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. Therefore, these three days, of course they're in accordance with the teachings of Islam. Indeed, they are prophesied by no less than the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. A man makes a prophecy 1400 years ago, they come true. Are we not going to be celebrating and be joyous at that? On a side note, the concept of celebration, indeed many people will raise this allegation because of the fact that they allege that this is an innovation to celebrate these days. But as we've mentioned, it is in complete accordance with the teachings of the Holy Quran and the prophecies of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him. And we're not talking about celebration like we're setting off cartwheels and fireworks and dancing. This is a celebration of the signs of God, where we bring people together to remember God, to talk about the signs and the glory of God. And this is actually told as an injunction in the Holy Quran. It says in chapter 14, verse 6, that remind them of the days and the signs of God. 
Therefore, this is not contrary, rather it is completely in accordance with the teachings of Islam and something which absolutely everyone should be involved in because of the fact that what else is there to be joyous about for a theist, God-believing community than to celebrate the glorious and wonderful proofs and signs of God. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbours. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbours with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasised consideration towards one neighbours so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbour would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbour might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbour should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favourite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbour. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbour is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbour. He asked people not to object to their neighbours driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbour. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show Day <coughs> listeners. We were discussing about how there has been, you know, a high uh, increase in ADHD prescriptions in the um, over the last ten years, yeah. a sevenfold increase in adult ADHD prescriptions. So we do have online with us our uh, next guest of this segment, Dr. Jalil Ahmed Sharif, who is an intellectual disability psychiatrist currently undertaking a PhD in rare diseases and neurodevelopment disorders. Good morning, peace be upon you. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Um, nice to, uh, thank you for having me on the show. 
Wa alaikum salam. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, so just for our listeners out there, could you uh, describe what hurdles people with ADHD have to go through when compared to a person who does not have ADHD? So um, just a bit of understanding of ADHD. ADHD is obviously, an, um, atten- it, it stands for Attention Deficit and hyper- Hyperactivity Disorder. And people have different types of issues already mentioned in the name. So some of them is Attention Deficit and others is Hyperactivity. And the main, the main way it manifests is having difficulty in um, their daily lives because of either impulsivity, attentional hyperactivity, and that part should be in different facets of the life. So it can be either in health, in personal life, it can be in, in, in work life, and it can be also in social settings as well. So it should be in multiple settings. So uh, And... Um, People have difficulty in uh, in um, either giving up complete attention to the task, um, not completing the task that they're doing, um, shifting, uh, focusing attention on different things, difficulty sitting still, and it's so severe that it is impacting on their daily living. So it's not just that it's mild, it, uh, it is so severe that it is impacting on the different domains of the life. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's some, uh, you know, some uh, skeptics, some people out there that, you know, might say that, you know, essentially every child it does go through this phase and they're, you know, uh, hyperactive and, you know, but how does one kid who's, you could say, doesn't have ADHD compare to someone that does, but like, what is the medical, like, you know, standing in regards to this? Because you're saying one person is diagnosed with ADHD and, you know, they can be prescribed meds, uh, but mm-hmm. the other kid can also be very hyperactive, but he's normal. Sure. I think um, one of the main things is um, um, ADHD is diagnosed by mental health professionals, um, specifically in the UK. Um, it's either by mental health professionals like psychiatrists, but it's certainly can be other uh, mental health professionals as well. And there is experience in diagnosing that condition. So once you have got the diagnosis, the main way you know the person has ADHD is the way the medication works. So once you actually prescribe the medication for people with ADHD, and they obviously, as mentioned right, uh, just, just right now, they have difficulties in their daily lives, difficulty focusing, difficulty sitting still or so on and so forth. Once you prescribe the medication, the medication actually works instantly. It reduces the severity of the symptoms they have with ADHD. And that's one of the ways we know that people have ADHD. So once they, have, they do have the diagnosis, they've received the medication, it actually works immediately. Um, whereas with somebody who doesn't have ADHD, you may actually do the um, the reverse, so they are already active generally as a person, but not with a diagnosis, and then you give them the medication, and they may actually become more active even than they are. So that's one of the main differences. So just to clarify, the only time that you have fully understanding that a person has ADHD is once they've been prescribed the medicine, and then the medicine actually works on them? So that is one of the um, one of the main ways because the medicine actually, um, although we don't fully understand how ADHD develops, but a, the medication that we use and um, there's different types of medications um, improves 
the day-to-day living of people with ADHD. So the medication could be prescribed to someone that potentially doesn't have ADHD as well? Um, well, uh, I, I mean, generally speaking, there are professionals who are experienced, including a psychiatrist who would diagnose ADHD. Mm. There could be instances. So one of the ways ADHD is diagnosed is so you would take the whole history into account. You would take um, collaborative history from family members as well. But people with ADHD also are at higher risk of having other mental health conditions as well, including depression, including bipolar disorder, including personality disorders and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. one of the main things to do as a mental health professional is to rule out that the patient doesn't have other mental health uh, conditions, although they're more likely to have them. So mm-hmm. if the other mental health conditions are there, then you may be having symptoms that are overlapping but are not ADHD. So you need to be cautious to know that this is pure ADHD or if there are another mental health conditions before you would consider treatment. Mm. Um, yeah, and how can we help people to get their correct diagnosis? So, I mean, the way it works in the UK is obviously um, uh, being referred to the right services. So if it's early on in life, you would possibly see um, a GP and the GP would possibly refer to the pediatrician or children's psychiatrist. And for adults, it would be, again, a similar route. It would be possibly through the primary care GP and they would refer to secondary services and then um, the person would be seen by a psychiatrist. Hmm. Um, what common misconceptions are there about people with ADHD? If you can explain think, for our listeners. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think um, well, it's, again, because of the nature of the, 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 the disorder. So people are inattentive. They have difficulty on focusing on a certain, a certain thing for a long period of time and difficulty in completing tasks. I think some of the main things would be that they may be deemed lazy or that they may not it put as much effort into what they're doing and that may also be in education as well. So for example, you would have a child who is going through primary or secondary school and they cannot sit still while they're in lesson. So the teacher may deem them as disruptive or lazy or or, or not paying attention. However, because of the nature of the condition, they may actually have ADHD that warrants treatment. Hmm. Yeah, that's nicely put. Um, And as a society, you know, if we have a society with a lot of ADHD cases, how can we help as a society? So um, at the moment, as the evidence shows, the, 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 the prevalence or, or the, the, the amount of ADHD in the general population worldwide, you say is about um, 2 to 3%. Um, so that's, if you think about it, it's that 2 to 3 people in 100. But generally speaking, it's higher in men than women. And, and one of the best ways is actually what we're doing right now. So one of the things is um, educating ourselves about it, this, uh, talking about it. Um, and the other thing is um, then once we make ourselves aware, um, also um, supporting the people who have the problems by um, reading up on things of how to support people, but also asking them to see the right professionals, either mental health or, or other uh, charities as well that, that support people with ADHD. So, ADHD. so getting the information ourselves and then also supporting the people as well. Mm. Um, and you mentioned that um, there are higher cases of men with ADHD than women. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, why, what would you say the reason for this is? 
So, I mean, it's difficult to say it's, um, because we don't know the exact nature of how ADHD happens. We know that there's a genetic aspect of it. So we know it runs higher in families where there are already people who've got ADHD than the children are more likely to have it. And also there's a societal factor to it as well. But um, the exact reason why it is high, high at the moment, we don't know, but research is ongoing into, for example, genetics and, and other causes. But um, again, mental health problems and also certain um, instances in regards to um, preterm birth or other things also increase the risk of developing ADHD. But there's no specific thing that we can pinpoint that we can clearly say that is the cause for ADHD. Um, and for our listeners, um, what medicines and resources are out there for people with ADHD? And so, um, yes, sorry, yeah, yes. And are there potential uh, cursing development for people with ADHD? Uh, so I, I think that is a that is a good question. So at the moment, the main the main the, the way we have to think about ADHD, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, but it doesn't mean it's as such that the person is ill that they need a cure for it. It's just a different way of thinking of how they do live their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So the treatment is there to reduce the some symptoms and if the person has ADHD, the treatments actually work very well. The only um, thing is depending on the medication, some of them have side effects versus others. So that also comes about, so the treatment is generally very effective. Um, and cure would be an inappropriate step because it's just a person that thinks in a different way or processes information or lives in a different way because of how the brain is wired. So a, a cure would essentially be changing the overall wiring of the brain, which is too difficult to do after mm. you're born, essentially. Um, however, um, treatment is generally speaking, the right way, and there's different type of classes, but it would be best to initially just get the assessment by the relevant health professionals, by the psychiatrist, and then they would decide on the right type of treatment for the for the person with ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Jalil Amir-Sharif. Um, it was nice um, speaking to you, and you benefited us with a lot of information. Thank you very much, Amit. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah Wa alaikum assalam Peace be upon you uh, So that was uh, Dr. Jalil Sharif uh, Who is uh, you know studying to get a PhD in the um, uh, in, in university In uh, Queen, Queen Mary University of London And um, he's studying rare diseases and neurodevelopment mm-hmm. disorders And you know he's shared some really important uh, Especially scientific knowledge in regards to ADHD and yeah. uh, you know what we can do to tackle it, how the medicine works, mm. and you know hopefully it can benefit our listeners as well. Yeah, it was quite interesting that yeah. men have mm. a higher chance, or men are um, diagnosed with yeah. ADHD. Men, men, men are generally, you know, they're just more. I would say, you could say they're more <laughs> hyperactive, essentially, right? <laughs> yeah, true, true. Right? They're less sensitive. Yeah. So maybe. That yeah. plays a factor. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, there could be other factors also. Yeah. But so the uh, um, yeah, sorry, were you about to? And and yeah. the, and children, uh, especially. Hmm. Um, they say they they are diagnosed, but now as we see hmm. the research yeah. and the data shows that adults hmm. are being diagnosed as much as children. Hmm. So it just maybe shows the way we are living, the lifestyles that we have nowadays. That could be maybe the environment is affecting hmm. everyone. Yeah. 
So the Ahmadiyya Muslim community believes that Islam teaches compassion and care for individuals with illnesses, including ADHD. They emphasize the importance of seeking proper medical treatment and support for those affected. Ahmadiyya Muslims are encouraged to approach individuals with illnesses, including ADHD, with empathy, patience and kindness, providing them with necessary support and accommodations that they may need. Mm. Islam promotes inclusivity and understanding towards individuals with different abilities and encourages the community to create an environment of acceptance and support. In Surah Al-Baqarah verse 286 in the Holy Quran it states, Allah does not burden a soul beyond that it can bear. This verse reassures us that Allah does not impose hardships or commandments on individuals that are beyond their capacity. It implies that individuals with illnesses such as ADHD are not burdened with responsibilities that they cannot fulfill. Islam encourages understanding, support and compassion towards those with illnesses, recognizing their unique challenges and providing them with the necessary accommodations and assistance. Humanity First, uh, you know, the international humanitarian organization the, is, the, is a charity of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has been involved in various initiatives to support individuals with ADHD. They focus on raise, raising awareness about ADHD, providing educational resources and offering support to individuals and their families. Through their programs, they aim to reduce stigma, promote understanding and create a supportive environment for those affected by ADHD. Additionally, they collaborate with healthcare professionals and organizations to ensure success to proper diagnosis, treatment and support services for individuals with ADHD. A true believer always turns only to Allah for healing. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to a physician, you are only a soother to your patient. Its physician is he who created him, i.e. Allah. We do have a brief audio clip. We, uh, no, apologies. We, we do not uh, have an audio clip for this segment. But, um, you know, as it is a live show, uh, we do encourage our listeners to call in uh, and, you know, they can speak to us uh, in um, in regards to anything. Uh, you can call in at 0286-877-878 or tweet us at The Voice of Islam. UK, and uh, you know, do make sure to tune in to our other shows. Uh, the breakfast show runs Monday to Friday, seven to nine um, every week, and the drive time show runs Monday to Friday as well, uh, from four p.m. to six p.m. Um, we are, you know, coming to the end of today's breakfast show. We would like to thank all our listeners for tuning in and our experts for taking time out to discuss the topics. Uh, I would like to thank the production team, the tech team, uh, Akib, brother Akib Ahmed, and our guests and listeners, uh, our producer Munib Mirza, and researchers Nawera Khan, Marjala Ahmed, and Zainab Khan. For now, uh, please take care. Have a good morning. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.